Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be talking about some small innovations that are going to affect the future and finish up our focus on the future series, or as I like to call it, future focus. Look at that. We're going to be talking about the new at-home wind turbines that you can buy as a consumer, bifacial solar panels, meaning you get energy from both sides, and Li-Fi. Yes, light Wi-Fi, basically. And after all of those, we will end today with our daily delight. A story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So where do you see the at-home energy market in a few years? I mean, we talked about in one of the Future Focus episodes the fact that there's going to be a device that can literally pull humidity out of the air or water particles out of the air and filter them through and create electricity. And we're, today we're going to talk about at-home wind turbines. And there seems to be a more consumer-based rather than industrial-sized move towards green energy, or at least it's becoming more possible now because we've invested in these technologies and companies are like, okay, we've already got this industrial base that's willing to pay. How do we broaden our market? Ah, we make some more consumer products. So where do you see the future being in these consumer products? Is everybody going to have a large windmill? Is everybody going to have a solar panel? Is the government going to give out subsidies or some areas going to require that you have your own energy source so you don't necessarily strain the grid as much? Tell me what you think down in the comment section. I'd love to hear everybody's opinions. All right, let's jump in to our first article. And this one comes from Family Handy Man. What to know about home wind turbines. So when I first saw this, I was, I was very intrigued. Because for the most part, when you think wind turbine, when you think wind energy, at least where I am, you would go into West Virginia, you would see the giant fields of turbines the running across the ridges of the beautiful West Virginia landscape. You have a beautiful mountain, and you keep following the ridgeline, and then boom, a whole bunch of wind turbines. So you don't necessarily think about at-home wind generation. Or maybe you think little spinners, you know, the things that people put out in their garden, or the giant windmills that you see all across Amsterdam in the photos. So there has been, you know, some movement towards a more at-home wind turbine recently. You've seen a few of those really tall ones that are of the original horizontal nature, but those are a risk to a lot of different birds and other animals that could collide into them. And also, they're less efficient than some of these new technologies that are coming about. So I described what the normal horizontal wind turbine would look like, but what about the vertical ones? And these are some of the ones you may see in some sci-fi films, and they actually, instead of having the gears on a horizontal axis, meaning they kind of look like a propeller that you would find on the front of a plane or maybe on the back of a boat engine, and then the wind comes through, pushes it, makes it rotate, Instead of that, we have a new technology where the gear shaft actually stands up vertically. It goes from the top of the turbine all the way to the base of the pole that's holding up the turbine itself. And it kind of looks like a, a double helix, the way that the blades are curved to catch the edge. 
So when it starts spinning, instead of being a giant circle that birds can fly into as they're going from left to right across your backyard, this is actually a circle, but it's contained. And when it's spinning, it'll probably look more like a cylinder that's floating on the top of the pole rather than a giant circle. And one of the advantages about this is it actually has less of a footprint, meaning that at the end of the day, it's going to take up less volume in the air. So in theory, you could have multiple within your backyard. But let me explain how they highlight the technology here. Quote, vertical axis turbines have a shaft that extends vertically from the ground, and the blades can be shaped like an S or an H, or they can be semicircular, like the spokes on a whisk blender. The more compact design allows for installation on rooftops as well as on the ground. But because wind is unpredictable, you don't normally use energy generated by wind turbines directly. You either store it in a battery or feed it through the panel to lower your energy costs. Some turbines come in batteries pre-installed, while others are designed to tie into battery packs for the existing PV system. So at this point, the technology is not quite there to have at-home wind turbines that could power everything. It's more of a supplemental kind of technology. And imagine that overnight, you know, you're charging up your Tesla. It's draining on the battery ever so slowly. And then when you leave for work, there's a little bit of a windy day. So you have two wind turbines rolling in the backyard and they're recharging that battery. And maybe you have a solar panel on your roof and they're recharging that battery, and then it's good to go when you get home. So instead of having to rely on any power from the grid that day to recharge your power bank, then, hey, look at that. you got two alternative green resources in order to do that. That's going to be cost savings over a long period of time. And then also, you don't have to feel guilty about the fact that when you are charging your battery from the grid, it's most likely coming from coal or natural gas plants across the United States that are providing that electricity. So like I said, right now it's a little bit supplemental. It's not going to replace your entire house power. You're not going to be able to run your fridge, your Xbox, your PlayStation, your computers, your TV, your smart TV, your smart speakers. You're not going to be able to run everything off of it. But for now, This is a step in the right direction. The other reason that I really like the idea of having more at-home power available to consumers is it decentralizes power a little bit. No longer do you have to be fully reliant on your local power provider. You can actually start being a little bit more self-sufficient. And I see these wind turbines being really, really useful for farmers or people who have a large tract of land where they would be willing to, instead of using it for crops if they don't necessarily need it, or maybe they have a beautiful view and they're not actually using it for any animals or anything like that. It's not a farm. It's just a large plot of land out in the middle of nowhere, and you have a nice wide open area. Maybe put a few of these up. Maybe put a birdhouse down below them, or you could just have them as some sort of aesthetic piece if you are totally okay with looking at giant cylinders just floating in the air at your house. Because there is a little bit of noise that comes with these. So the author kind of goes into the fact that this may not be the best for a tightly packed area where you have a whole bunch of neighbors who will be looking on or could hear it, and they may not enjoy the sight of it either. So, you know, it may be for some of the people who are a little bit further out for now until the technology gets so seamless that you wouldn't be able to notice it 
at all. But the idea that we can decentralize the grid a little bit, that you can be more self-sufficient, that you can have technology that is there to help you in emergency situations, maybe. The only thing that is one of the main drawbacks about wind turbines compared to solar panels is there are a few things that you have to keep in mind. Quote, wind is unpredictable, and even though turbines work when the sun isn't out, they don't work when the wind isn't blowing. Unlike PV panels, which are pretty low maintenance, wind turbines require regular maintenance, and they have moving parts that can be noisy and can break if the wind blows too hard. Wind turbines have to be placed where the wind is blowing, which sometimes necessitates high towers or prominent roof placements. Because of the visual impact and the noise factor, they are not suitable for densely populated neighborhoods, and some communities might be reluctant to issue permits for them. The blades of horizontal axis turbines create a hazard for wildlife, especially birds and bats. Well, we're not worried about the horizontal ones. I'm going to dismiss that because I think that the vertical ones are more efficient or let's say they are better suited to work in a more consumer-based market than the large horizontal turbines. And this is the beauty about innovation and having a more consumer-based market. You're going to address problems that you haven't done before. I mean, for generations upon generations, like I said about the Dutch earlier, they've been using horizontal axis turbines. Now, they were using them more for milling rather than actually creating energy for a long time because they didn't have electricity. But we have had this one type of turbine for a long, long time. And with the shift towards more consumer markets and the need to have it be a little bit more compact and then also responding to consumers who are afraid of the effect on wildlife. I mean, large corporations, they probably don't care. They're like, oh, yeah, we lose one or two birds every few months or every few days from these giant turbines. We don't care about that. We're getting our energy. But now when you focus on the consumer market, the people that may be a little bit more sensitive to hurting the wildlife around their house or in their local area, they're going to have to innovate and create a less hazardous product like the vertical axis wind turbines. And it is also smaller, more compact, and a little bit cheaper because you don't actually have to have a complex gear set up from, you know, located in the connection between the pole and the turbine itself. Now you can have it a line that runs directly to a battery in the base of it or can run directly practically to a battery that you have situated on your house already for you know maybe storage purposes or whether if you want to buy a tesla pack so you can charge your tesla and i know i've returned to tesla a few times but that's the main company i can think of when i think of a battery pack that they just have ready to install a large lithium-ion one on your house or anywhere near your house so you can see that this personal focus is pushing the market in a totally different direction, and this is really, really important, especially when we are now realizing, hey, people have this eco-conscious mindset. They also have this independent mindset, and they're willing to put up maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars on the front end in order to see that pay off five, ten years down the road. Now, I don't know what maintenance costs are like on these, so maybe that'll be a factor that keeps people from buying them until those maintenance costs go down and they're a little bit more self-sufficient, but we will see going into the future. 
Now, let's talk about another innovation. This one is not necessarily based towards consumers, but rather this is one that's going to help the solar panel energy industry improve, at least when it comes to collecting energy and using that space more efficiently. Right now, what you have is solar panels that have one face to them. So when you plant a solar panel array or you make a giant field of solar panels, there's a new one that just got installed down the road from me when I drive past it every other day or so or when I'm going into the the big town when I want to go to Barnes and Noble grab a book or two I drive past this giant solar array and it does take up a lot of space but think about it this way if you only have one panel or you only have one face of the panel that's able to absorb electricity you're actually not taking full effect you're not taking full advantage of that space that you're taking up now imagine having a bifacial or double-sided solar panel. This is from the article in The Cooldown. These double-sided bifacial solar panels can generate energy on both sides, and they could revolutionize our power grid. So when I first saw the pictures of these, I was like, yeah, whoa, that actually, that actually kind of looks like something we've been using on the space station where there's both sides of the solar panels are able to conduct electricity. And you may be thinking, well, if the solar panel array is tilted and it's actually facing towards the sun at any point during the day, then how is the back going to get any power whatsoever? How is it going to be able to collect any energy if it's not facing the sun? And then I want to ask you about when you have you ever been skiing or even have you been out on a snowy day? What happens when the sun hits the snow? It is very, very white, and it can hurt your eyes. I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of the articles or even just some of the talk. You should probably wear sunglasses when you're out skiing on a really, really sunny day. You can actually get a form of overexposure to UV rays that bounce off the snow and go back towards your eyes. In theory, you could even get sunburned from the snow and not from the sky, though you would be burned by the sky before you got burned by the snow in that instance. But think about it like that. The ground also reflects rays back into the atmosphere or, in this case, into the back of the solar panels. So they're absorbing the sun that's coming directly through the atmosphere and is coming directly to the panels, but also they're trying to collect some of that extra energy that bounces off the ground behind these panels. Quote, Bifacial solar panels make the most sense when it comes to harnessing sunlight to produce pollutant-free energy. The average solar panel relies on energy that comes directly from the sun. But today, another kind of solar panel can actually compare that same energy from sunlight that bounces off the ground, taking in the power from both sides, as reported by CNET. Solar manufacturers have relied on these panels with the capacity to produce an extra 11 to 23% of energy compared to their monofacial or single-sided counterparts. This percentage may seem insignificant, but over time, the gain in value is definitely worth it, end quote. And my thing that first came to mind, or at least when you actually start thinking about it, is think of opportunity cost. Like I said at the very beginning, if you are already taking up a set space for this solar panel array, these bifacial panels don't actually take up any more room. You don't have to make the solar array any larger, maybe a little bit stronger to be able to hold the extra weight, but even then, you don't have to make them any larger. 
but you're so you're taking up a fixed amount of space in the field that you're trying to turn into a solar field where you're trying to generate energy. Now, if you could gain even a small percentage, 10% of extra energy, just by putting solar panels on the back to harness that extra energy, that's an opportunity cost that you're missing out on if you have a monofacial solar panel. Because like I said, it's taking up the same amount of space, but yet you're able to generate more electricity. So why wouldn't you do that, even if it is a small percentage? And think about it this way. If it's bifacial, if there's two faces to it, and one side is kind of wearing out a little bit, maybe you can actually switch the sides that are prominently facing the sun and one that's facing the ground. So then as the front-facing panel that's getting a lot of the sunlight right now gets a little bit older, it gets a little bit more worn out, maybe it's dropping efficiency by 0.2%, you just swap sides. You flip the panel over, the side that's been facing the ground for a long period of time, now that's going to face the sun, there's no drop-off in collection of energy, and now you just have a 2% drop-off on the energy that is already not necessarily the most efficient by grabbing the stuff that's bouncing off the ground with the older panel. So that drop-off doesn't seem as significant. There's just a lot of different ideas that can be worked with here. And I can't believe I didn't think about it before because, like I said, you've seen it on the space station. You've seen those large solar arrays that are able to get solar energy from either side. So whenever it's spinning around the Earth, no matter what orientation it's at, it is getting some sort of energy through its solar panels. And like I said, I'm really surprised I didn't think about this. And I'm happy to see that more people are starting to realize, even if it doesn't provide the same amount of energy, that small per extra percentage is really useful. Because then we don't have to create another row in that solar panel array in order to get a extra quarter of the energy and i mean that is in theory i mean that's at the most part they said 23 percent is the high end but then you don't have to add if you have 10 rows and you're trying to get one tenth more of the energy on the low end instead of installing an extra row and taking up more space and taking away more land from the farm that you're probably buying from or from animal grazing areas you could just put in bifacial solar panels and that at the low end is 10 percent that of extra energy that you can get from solar panels. So it seems like a good revolution overall, or revolution's not the right word. It seems like a good innovation overall. It can make sure that we don't have to build more larger solar arrays. We can take advantage of the space we're already using up. These are just benefits upon benefits upon benefits. And now, is it applicable for consumers? No, it is not applicable for consumers. Consumers, You're not going to have a giant solar array. Maybe some people in their backyard have giant solar arrays, but for the most part, you're getting a monofacial panel that's going to go on your roof somewhere. But it, it doesn't make sense to have these giant bifacial panels. So this is going to stay industrial for a while. But maybe in the future, they make little smaller versions that do actually absorb the extra light that's bouncing off the ground. Maybe the light that is solar powered, you know, those little small lights that people put in their front yard and they have a solar panel on the front and then at night the light comes on. Well, maybe you could have it so that there's actually a solar panel on the back too. So all that extra light that's getting bounced off your pavement or the sidewalk that you live near or have going to the front of your house, maybe that can grab that extra energy and then that light 
will go a little bit longer. Or maybe you can have a stronger LED because you're actually able to store more energy throughout the day. Now, of course, the same drawbacks do apply here, though. If it's not sunny, you can't collect the initial solar energy. And if it's not sunny, then you're definitely not getting a whole bunch of bounce back from the ground either. So it still has to be sunny for this technology to work. They haven't overcome that yet, and they never will, because that is one of the largest flaws with the solar panels. But that's also why we focus where we give subsidies and where we prioritize putting up solar panels, such as places like the Mojave Desert or in Arizona and New Mexico. While it can be cloudy there, of course, I'm not trying to say that it's always sunshine and rainbows. Those are areas that get blasted with sun more times out of the year than a lot of different locations. So let's go to another quote from this article that highlights a aspect of this that's not talked about a lot. They do go on a rant before this talking about how it's obvious that we need to cut down on gas emissions and so on and so forth. But I think there's another part of this that is interesting and could really prove to some of the naysayers or at least provide an economic argument to some of the naysayers as to why green technology is better. Quote, aside from the environmental and health-related benefits of a transition to renewable energies, studies have shown that as energy, 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 spelled two different ways, put it, quote, every one dollar of investment in renewable creates three times more jobs than the fossil fuel industry does. End quote. Regarding the price of bifacial solar panels, they are slightly more expensive than traditional monophase panels, but the difference is offset in the long run since they produce more energy. On average, a bifacial panel can cost between 10 to 20% more per watt, but the benefits of long-term financial savings, energy efficiency, and pollution reduction may be well worth the short-term investment, end quote. And this is actually the point that I was trying to make with a lot of these companies turning towards renewables and a lot of these industrial companies, not just consumer companies turning towards renewables, because it shows that we're starting to have a long-term outlook. Rather than having a short-term outlook, oh, what's the most convenient? Gas, coal, natural gas, nothing against those markets. They provide lots of great jobs. They provide lots of cheap, clean energy, or not clean, but cheap energy. So I'm not trying to bash them at all. But the fact that there are now consumer markets, more industrial markets, and the fact that this is even a prospering market, even though it is heavily subsidized by the government, it does prove that people are starting to have a little bit longer term of an outlook. And though I don't want to necessarily get political because this is future focused, this is not the normal political segments, if we can start to have a long-term outlook rather than the short-term, rather than gratifying our needs and wants right now, maybe we can actually affect change within our system, within the global system, internationally, so on and so forth. And that's only possible when you have long time horizons in mind. So this shift may be the start of a trend in a generation. Maybe millennials and Gen Z are more forward future thinking, and maybe that will actually be beneficial on the political front as well. But, you know, that's I need to stop doing that. You know, this isn't the politics show. This isn't the politics podcast right now. No, this is future focus. So let's jump to our last innovation, and it's a little bit of a shorter article because it's talking about a technology that's just now in its infancy, but it's something that I find really, really interesting. It's called LiFi. This article comes from TechSpot. LiFi specification standards released, enabling wide adoption of light-based wireless internet. 
So you may be thinking, wait, hold on, light-based wireless internet, how is this going to work? And to be honest, I am not quite smart enough or in the know enough of the engineering and the technology behind it. So I am going to read this handy-dandy article. This is why I have the articles to export the actual explaining and the smart talk to them, and I just sound dumb and cutesy when I'm reading them. Quote, the IEEE has released the 802.11 BB standard for Li-Fi Internet, a wireless transmission system that can be faster and more secure than traditional wireless methods. The new standard paves the way for different manufacturers like Li-Fi devices that are compatible with each other. However, don't expect Wi-Fi and Ethernet to go away anytime soon. So, instead of radio waves, light fidelity, or Li-Fi, transmits data through flickering lights from common LED bulbs to receivers that contact photons and convert them back into information. Users shouldn't notice the flickering because it occurs at a frequency above 60 Hz, too fast for the human eye to perceive. Moreover, Li-Fi signals can be 100 times faster than Wi-Fi, potentially reaching 224 gigabits per second. So let's take a break there. They say that the human eye won't be able to notice it. Well, 60 hertz, there are different cameras that can record pretty quickly. And sometimes you do see shuttering of light when you're even just recording with your iPhone. So maybe that might become an issue in the future. We'll, we'll see about that one. But what I wanted to talk about is the detecting of photons. So there is one concern, one major concern that came to mind when I was first thinking through this, which is we have an atmosphere and stratosphere above us that filter out a lot of the harmful UV rays. What is light? Light is photons. And there is concern. Some people talk about, well, radio waves, we don't know what they're doing to our body. We could be getting different types of cancer or different types of radioactivity or there could be damage to your body through the excess radio waves that we use to communicate. And I don't know if that's true or not, but think about photons. We purposely have products that limit the amount of exposure to different types of photons for our skin. Think about sunscreen. So would actually be this be sending information through photons? Would that increase the likelihood that we could get harmed? Because we already know that there's protective shielding that they put on the space station in space to not get hit by excess photons. Now that is different. There's not a stratosphere or atmosphere up there to protect them. And maybe the amount of photons being thrown around by this technology will be so small that we won't even notice it. And maybe it's not even going to be a problem because it's actually going to put out a little bit less photons because it's actually flickering. And maybe I'm overthinking it because maybe the photons that are coming out of my light right now are penetrating into my back and that's causing some sort of small amount of damage that I can't perceive. But it is something that came to mind. And hopefully if there's someone out there who is a light engineer who understands light optics or anything, whatever that field may be, you can you know own me and slam dunk me in the comments if I'm completely wrong about this one. But it's just something that came to mind at first. So let's talk about the companies that are developing this technology and what some of the implications will be. Quote, companies working on the technology, including Pure Li-Fi, Furhauer, HHI, and Philips, have integrated it into lighting systems so devices can receive internet through ceiling lights in homes or offices. 
Frauenhauer HHI has proposed using Wi-Fi to enhance transportation by transmitting using street lamps, stoplights, and vehicle headlights, potentially enabling vehicle-to-vehicle communication. So let's actually pause there. Imagine you have a Tesla that is self-driving, and it's trying to understand what's going on on the road, and there's another Tesla that's emitting a signal through Wi-Fi, and the other car is able to pick it up and say, oh, okay, this car has its indicator on, it wants to turn, oh, this car has this thing in mind, basically the two algorithms within the car calculating what they should do would actually be able to communicate with each other. And that's actually a very interesting idea because Elon has already talked about the fact that in the future, all cars will have self-driving technology. They'll all be on a sort of grid or cloud that's communicating with one another so that it lowers the likelihood of accidents and things like that. Well, imagine instead of having to have a cloud and exporting that data out to the internet and then having a lag time, having it come back, you just have Wi-Fi signals being put out by all the cars around you that your car's computer is able to interpret very quickly. Quote, light-based internet can have a few distinct advantages over Wi-Fi or 5G besides higher speeds. Since it's not using radio waves, it might be helpful in places where radio wave spectrum is already congested. Furthermore, Wi-Fi can maintain a strong signal in settings where other wireless technologies usually struggle, like inside tunnels. Wi-Fi is also more secure because it doesn't penetrate opaque objects, preventing anyone from tracking, jamming, or intercepting networks through walls or outside a light source's reach, end quote. So that's actually a really interesting one. Now you don't have to worry about someone coming and jacking your Wi-Fi signal or putting a booster outside your house so that they can gain access to your Wi-Fi inside your house. No, it's not going to penetrate past the the light beams that are coming out of the light bulb in your house, they're not going to flow through the walls. All you have to do is close the blinds, and then boom, you are locked down, you are secure, the photons are not going anywhere, and you are on a safe network. And I think this is a very interesting technology. Of course, there are the limits that you have to be within range of the light, so it's probably not going to be super useful right now. But imagine in the future that every lamp post, every different light across the street has a Wi-Fi signal, And you are just walking, you're running, whatever you're doing, you're going down the street and you're just connecting to one lamppost and the next and the next. And you have this really high fidelity, really high speed internet throughout an entire city. Imagine, this is beautiful. There are lots of different implications for this. And it's one of those small innovations, one of those small things that could affect our life in a big way. Just like the small improvement of bifacial solar panels or more vertical axis at home consumer-based wind turbines, all of these are small innovations that could have big impacts and pave the way for a lot of change. And that's what today was about. If you've made it this far, you may be wondering what's the connecting thread. These are small changes to technologies that we already have that light the way forward and show that innovation doesn't have to be big and revolutionary like I've been showing for the last few future-focused podcasts. It can be small and still have a big impact and lead to a brighter future. I'm sorry for the pun. I know. Li-fi, brighter. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I had to do it here at the end. All right. Let's jump to our daily delight. So have you ever wondered what a panda would look like with an umbrella? Well, if you come to this article, you'll see the video. You'll understand what it's like. Quote, the panda called G refused to let go of the umbrella even when the keepers lowered a net to try to retrieve it. 
And, you know, when I first read this headline, Umbrella Drops in Panda's Enclosure at Zoo, and it's absolutely loving it. I was like, wait, hold on, what? But then I started reading, like, oh, okay, so someone dropped their umbrella, and now this, this panda is having a good old time. Quote, G even managed to accidentally open the umbrella while playing with it at the zoo in Xingdang, the capital of the Chinese province of Shishan. The new plaything attracted the attention of the two other pandas, but she refused to give the umbrella up, end quote. And if you want to see any of the cute videos of this guy playing with the umbrella or you want to read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below, that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip, where I post Twitter tirades every Tuesday and Thursday. Less scripted, no quotes from articles, just off the top of the head, going on a rant, talking about something. All right, with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe, don't die.